episode six of the IntelliCAD podcast. This is Adam Jolly with EMI Research Solutions. With me, as always, is Brian Lamar. Hey, everybody. <laughs> we missed a week last week. Yeah, got busy with you know our day job. Um, yeah, work has been busy, which is good, right? Because if work wasn't busy and we were just like popping out these podcasts every other day, uh, might not have these microphones, might not have this luxurious studio that we record these in, right? Um, but anyway, wanted to, uh, first, okay, first some health cleaning type issues. Um, if you have any comments for us, if you'd like to hear about a specific topic, if you'd like to be a guest on the IntelliCast, if you want to get in on some of the jokes like the Mount Rushmores or looking to make fun of something in the industry, uh, please reach out to us at IntelliCast at emi-rs.com. Um, on Twitter, we are EMI underscore research. Uh, my personal Twitter is Adam Jolly, just all one word, um, and that's J-O-L-L-E-Y. And Brian's personal Twitter is... I don't tweet. I don't tweet at twitter.org. Um, we'll dive right into, I think that's going to become a recurring tweet, a recurring joke, because my wife mentioned it to me. She listens to the last one, and I said, Brian, your personal Twitter is, and I passed it to you, and you went off on like a 30-second rant about <laughs> something, and then it's just me laughing in the background the whole time that you missed it. So now every week I'm going to ask you, we'll come up with something fun. Um, <laughs> so, research news and topics. Anything going on in the industry, Brian? Well, let's see. Um, we're headed to Quirks this week. Um, I don't think there's any big news, is there? No, there needs to be some big news. Uh, but with that, I wanted to bring on, um, calling all the way from New Jersey, is Kelly Clayton of EMI. She'll be attending Quirks oh, nice. East this week. Uh, and I want to just give some of her thoughts about um, the upcoming conference. Kelly, are you there? I am. Hello. Hey, Kelly. Um, so I think first we'll just talk about, like, what are – have you ever been to a Quirks conference before? Yes, I have. My first one was last year, actually. What is what is kind of a Quirks conference like? Like, what, what can people expect that are going to this conference, uh, say, for the first time? Yeah, I would say, you know, the venue is kind of small. So it's at the Marriott um, by the Brooklyn Bridge. And there are so many vendors. Um, it's a huge networking opportunity. There are, I think, over 600 attendees going this year. Last year, I want to say there was about 300, and I thought that was large. But it's definitely doubled in size. So definitely expect uh, to mingle and meet people and, you know, get a lot of great speakers. It's, yeah, so I think Quirks does something really interesting to me that not a lot of other conferences do and that no matter how many people have signed up or how what time of year it is they're always just about sold out or now this year like they're sold out like they've been sold out for a couple weeks bar the doors right there i expect a fire marshal there with a clicker to count things uh brian yeah is this like a genius marketing ploy or should more conferences be doing stuff like that maybe it is a genius marketing ploy but that's a lot of people Maybe they are sold out. Is, is, is there a building in Brooklyn big enough to hold all these market researchers? Yeah, Kelly, um, how do you – let's talk about crowd control. How are you planning your fire escape with the 700 people to avoid any type of devastation? Have you thought about it? Well, I haven't yet, but now I think I'm going to have to. Yeah. You know what? Not to add things to your to-do list, 
That might be something you want to think about. Um, well, well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll talk about like some of the, like the speakers and stuff that are there. What what was like your best estimation as far as vendor versus like market research buyer? When I said market research buyer, I mean both like full service market research firm, ad firm, and then like brands as well. What do you think the split what, is? Uh, as attendees? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, honestly, there's a huge mix. And I think once you enter Quark's, you kind of can feel the difference. And I say that because brands tend to kind of take the, the back seat a little bit, right? They kind of want to see what's out there, and they'll approach you where a lot of MR firms are, you know, buying and selling sample. They, they know the ins and the outs. Um, so they're going up, they're mingling. And a lot of the times, from my personal experience, it's been, you know, we all know each other, right? We're all sure. overlapping. It's it's very easy just to say hi to everyone. Um, so it becomes a huge networking experience. So I think it's going to be interesting to see the differences. I know a lot of the speakers that I know that I'm attending this year um, are more on the brand side just due to the subject, and it kind of just drew me in. So gotcha. definitely interested to see, you know, the definite attendee list. I get that. Um, what attendee are you most excited to see? Anybody? It doesn't have to be anybody. No, there's so many people that are seriously going. Um, I would have to say I'm pretty excited that Hot Sets is going. Yeah. And Vox Pop Me. So I'm hoping to uh, stop by and say say hello to them. That's awesome. Uh, Well, that's kind of a a brief intro to the Quirks Conference, and we're going to actually get with Kelly shortly to talk about she's going to be our guest for the Quad and the Four Ps, um, but I thought that leads us right into the research rant of the week with Brian Lamar. Brian, what's your research rant of the week? Oh, I'm getting grumpy this week. Yeah. All right, let's do this. So my rant this week is based upon, I talked to one of your uh, lovely salespeople this morning, and that person met with a client and said that they're buying a sample for $1.25. Oh, it's good, though. That's my rant. It's like the commoditization <laughs> of sample, that you can buy it so cheap. Like, we're supposed to compete against a $1.25 sample that it's become so commoditized that people don't care where they came from. They don't care about quality, profiling ability, or targeting ability. Um, how is this How is this pro- panel managed or profiled, if at all? What kind of device usage they have? Um, I, I feel like with the programmatic sample especially, we're losing those checkpoints. Like I think a lot of clients used to ask for SMR questions, and they vetted panels differently than they are today. Now it's just who has the cheapest sample? Oh, I can get it a dollar seventy-five here. Oh, if I get it here for a dollar twenty-five, I could save X amount of thousands of dollars every test. And it drives me nuts. Um, I, I think programmatic sample is a good technology innovation for the industry because it does decrease cost. But what is the panelist getting out of this? Is their incentive clearly isn't being um, taken into account here. So that drives me crazy. And it's, you know, it's our job at EMI to try to disprove the commoditization. I think all the panel companies would like to do this as well. But there's um, a lot of companies out there trying to push the price down. Done. Okay. Um, so this goes back to kind of thought that we've talked about the commoditization of sample. And basically, cheap sample is just as good as expensive sample. Right. Um, intercept sample is just as good as email invite sample, those type of things. Yep. Um, 
you've been on the client side before. You've been in the market research, full service market research firm. Um, were you ever thinking about sample that way? That it could, did you ever, well, first of all, did you ever foresee sample being a commodity? And, or at that time when you were there, did you ever look at sample as being a commodity? Okay, when I was a client and buying sample, initially I thought it was a commodity. And I thought if you bought something from panel A, as long as you put certain, certain balancing criteria for panel B or C, it would come out the same. I quickly learned that it's not a commodity. Um, but then when I was at Cinovate and I was talking to EMI, among, Ooh, brag. I was, I was thinking with EMI among <laughs> other sample providers. I was really concerned about quality and how they recruit, and we did a deep dive in evaluating kind of the, the landscape of the partner network. So we really got to understand the difference between ResearchNow and SSI and EMI and Taluna. Um, and then I, that's when it really opened my eyes that, oh, wow, there's some pretty big differences. I mean, that sample is absolutely not a commodity, and price is just one of the factors. Um, among many factors when you're determining who you're using. So it took a little bit longer in my career to try to, to really understand that. But, um, yeah, I learned late. That's all right. Um, I just, yeah, I'm with you. I, um, I, I mentioned this when we, when we spoke at SampleCon that someone told me once that if they were on the consumer side, it would be cheaper for them to just hire somebody as like a, a data scrubber. Yep. And for consumer sample, get something to where they were buying sample for a dollar, dollar twenty-five. Get say if they needed a thousand completes, they would buy fifteen hundred, yep. knowing they would have to throw out you know thirty-three percent of the sample, but just having someone scrub through and, and the data, and they would save a lot more money doing that than buying you know four-dollar sample, five-dollar sample, and maybe getting it closer yep. uh, to being right the first time. Um, is this who made this problem though? We did, right? Absolutely, we did. Why? Sample companies did. Why? Did we rush to judgment? Did we rush to a need to think, get sample, a cheap, cheaper sample? I mean, I kind of feel like we went from quality, quality, quality. You can't route, fight that battle for a few months, and then all of a sudden, it's just wild, wild west out there. Am I oversimplifying it? That's what I feel like happened. It went from, okay, routing is okay in certain circumstances, um, this river sample is okay in certain circumstances to now is completely price driven. I don't care where they came from. Give me a complete, give me as, give me it as cheap as possible. Give it to me as fast as possible. I feel like we went there really quickly. It took like what, two years maybe? No, you're right. Uh, yeah, it did. It was, it was a really quick ramp. Um, I think we felt the pressure and to try to keep a seat at the table, we dropped prices as fast as we could. And but I think it also comes back to the priority about what's important has changed from it. It was like a paradox shift where it was just we went through like a get it done mentality to where like okay this person says they can get it done I don't care what path we take to get there is it cheap you know is it quality whatever how they're going about getting the respondents as long as we get it done and I think that is correcting a little bit I think if you look through some of the grit report you see like a course correction there where quality is becoming a bit of a, a different attribute, you know, yeah. getting things done right the first time rather than all the legwork that it would take to get to something right is starting to make up for that. Yeah. But um, there was a period of three to five years that it was just, I don't care how you get it done. I don't care what compromise we take. We just have to get it done. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. It's um, a depressing rant. <laughs> 
Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> let's jump right into the interview with Kelly. Kelly, are you ready to be interviewed? I am so ready. All right, I'll start with the first one. So, um, intro to Kelly. Kelly, you've been in the industry um, for a while, like three years, four years? Yeah, like three years now. Yeah. Um, you were at Scent before coming to EMI, but you're relatively new to EMI. Um, and that's kind of the perspective we're looking at. It was we're, we're looking at, you know, somebody who hasn't been in the industry 10 to 15 years and is jaded and coming up with research grants like Brian here, uh, but maybe has like a better, a more like clear eyed perspective and has seen other things as well. So that's kind of my, my first question to you is really um, talking more about the conference type scene um, and thinking about, you know, at market research conferences versus other conferences and and Kelly, what really, what is the best conference experience that you've had um, while you've been in market research or just in general of going to um, kind of trade shows? Yeah, okay. So my best experience was, it has to be my first TMRE experience. Um, it was my first conference actually in the market research world. I got to fly down to Florida. I got to work the company's booth. I was actually working um, for Scent at the time. Okay. Um, and I won two projects actually when I was walking the floor. So to me, that was a, an automatic win. And, you know, I got a ton of prospects and I left there with like an amazing network. And overall, I just felt like the feel I got from the market research community was one I hadn't seen or felt in the industry that I previously worked in. So I felt excited when I left there. You know, it, it was refreshing to me. It wasn't. I didn't really see hard selling, you know. Everyone was more of a network. Everyone kind of one way or another worked together. And to me, I left there being like, wow, this is one of the best experiences and one of the best industries to go to a networking event. I, I, I think that's great. What um, I think I guess what was the what was the last research conference that you went to? The last one I went to was actually TMRE. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a regular. <laughs> but it, I know, right? It, yeah, so the last one I was at it was at TMRE, and again, I'm heading to Cork this evening, so exciting. Wow. Um, so tell me, um, beyond that, what is, you've worked in selling, before you were at Scent, you worked, um, where did you come from before you were at Scent? Yeah, so I kind of have a crazy background. Um, I worked at Madison Square Garden for about seven years in ticket sales. Jeez. So I was doing, like, client services, VIP, and, you know, doing all that kind of sweet work. And that's not just um, like I, Knicks and Rangers. What, what else, like what was some of the craziest things that you had to sell tickets to while you were there? Cool. Uh, so we also did um, the Rockettes. So we had the Rockettes. We did like all the Cirque du Soleil shows. We did any event that hit their venues. If they had a group of 10 or more, I was talking to them or I was going to be assisting them, meeting them at events. Um, I think one of the coolest ones was Lady Gaga, though. Wow, that's crazy. Wow. Um, so uh, along with that, where were you at before Madison Square Garden? So after Madison Square Garden, I actually worked for um, a recruiting firm called Dysis. And I basically was going out and meeting managers and C-level you know, people and companies to see where they needed placements and finding good people to, to fit their needs. Gosh, and man. I did not like that at all. I had to get out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. So, so you've had some history in, the, in these different runs. What led you into market research? And not just once, yeah, but now so, twice. <laughs> right. Yeah, I um, 
I kind of took a, back, a step back after I was doing the whole recruiting thing and uh, really wanted to find something that I loved before I just jumped into it. And I happened to meet uh, Jace Wolf and Mike Mizell at Synth and had a conversation with them about the industry and, you know, what it was all about. And I really just kind of fell in love with the idea um, and kind of wanted to dive into it. And they took a chance on me since I didn't have, you know, that background. And I jumped in, started going, like I said, to all those networking events and fell in love with it. And, you know, ever since then, I, I decided this is the career path that I want to go down. Wow, that's great. Uh, all right, that was my question. That was like 18 questions for me, but do you have one for me now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Let's see. I have two, but let's see. Which one do I want to go with first? Um, okay, so I guess talking about career paths, right? Um, if you could start all over again, would you change your career path in any way? And if so, why? Um, could uh, change my career path. Um yeah, I, I would change some things in my career path. I, I think this kind of gets into a uh, like a what led me to market research type thing. Uh, unbeknownst to many people out there, I spent a lot of time in college. I majored in life and uh, got to learn a lot of things along the way. I was I, it took me seven years to get my undergrad. Um, seven years of full time too. It's not like I took some time out to do like the Peace Corps. Um, I didn't have any tragedies. I wasn't like part-time cook or anything in between. I was taking a 12-hour minimum load for seven years to get my undergrad. Um, just having a good time. Um, I went to a couple different schools, um, and I, I was in a fraternity. I just, I was just living life and doing really well. And finally, my parents were like, "Hey, what's going on here?" Um, how much debt do you want to have or do you want to saddle us with? Um, would you mind graduating college? At about that same time, um, I met Professor Dr. Aaron Levin at NKU who really talked to me about um, kind of where do you want to be? Do you want to be just average and kind of get through life and just kind of get by and of course be happy, but or do you really want to be successful? And he, he challenged me one day um, to really apply myself and to use some of these gifts that, you know, I think everyone when they're young thinks they're smarter than everybody else, uh, but never really have to apply. Are they really smarter than everybody else? Um, and he challenged me to do that. Um, so because of that, when I started um, in market research, I was, I was 25. And I would have liked to see what the industry was like if I was younger. Um, and I think maybe that's like a different career path I might have taken. I think I might have wanted to jump more and do like spend the first few years on that full service market research side or on a brand um, doing some analyst type things. Become more of like a – not an expert. You can't be an expert at 21 in anything. But like at least like <laughs> – right. yeah, at least like understand research more before I jumped into where sample was something I was trying to get an expertise and I was selling that sample and, you know, my stuff is better than your stuff and better than everybody else's stuff. So I think if there was something I could have done career path differently, I might, I, I think I would have started out on the more research heavy side before jumping into the sample because it took me six to seven years, kind of that Michael, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 10,000 hours thing to really understand not only just the selling aspects and business acumen, but like what research and what sample is really all about. So I think that's my change. Yeah. That's great. That makes total sense too. Yeah. Um, 
so in your role now, Kelly, you're you have a wide array of clients ranging from you know market research firms to ad firms to management consulting groups and and some brands as well. Um, what do you see as kind of the biggest differences between like selling with and working with? Call it like we'll stick with just a brand versus a, a market research firm. Yeah, let's. So based on my experience, I'll give you kind of the things that you know come first to my head. Um, so with brands, I feel like they either do everything in house or they outsource it all. Right? Um, their sales cycle is definitely longer. I find that they need more of one on one and kind of like that constant contact because I think that there's more questions that come with it. Um, I would say brands have you know, larger budgets and projects, but on the flip side, they are harder to get into because I, they tend to find a process and stick to it and kind of shut their doors. And then on the flip side, you have, you know, MR firms who they know the ins and outs because they're buying and selling samples themselves typically to these brands who, so they know, you know, you need to get in and out of field very quickly. Um, you know, overall, I think that it's pretty similar, but there's definitely little differences here and there. Uh, I agree. And that's one thing I always try to tell, like, the first time we bring salespeople in and I'm mentoring them or training them or whatever, I always say, don't, you know, I think when you start in, you're like, all right, I'm going to call on today. I'm going to call on Coca-Cola and Amex and Apple and I'm, so I'm going to get them as clients and they got so much money to spend and it's going to be great. And in actuality, like not only are you not ready for something like that and all that knowledge that you need to go into it, but um, a big difference between brands and market research firms is that I think we tend to forget that market research firms are aggregators of brands. So if you think, right. you know, a brand, a huge brand, like, you know, call it a $2 billion, $3 billion brand might only have four, five market research sample decision makers in the whole place. You know, they might only have like a $500,000, $750,000 sample budget and like a $2 million, $3 million research budget in general. And it takes, there's, there will always be a need for this full service market research firms because of that. they're like an aggregator of that. And they're going to not just do the sample piece, but also like do the questionnaire development, do the analysis, things like that. So it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a totally different conversation because you go from talking about like, to me, I just, I think about like cars, like I can sell you the whole car or I can specifically talk to you about how great the tires are on the car, you know, and that's kind of, I think, exactly, we're yeah. with, uh, within clients. Um, do you have one last question for me, Kelly? Yeah, I do. Um, let's see. So how do you, so talking about, you know, I'm going to course tomorrow. So how do you pick speakers that you attend when you go to these conferences? Like there are so many different, you know, I think there's, five different tracks at, you know, every half hour tomorrow and Wednesday and, you know, you go through it. So I'm curious, like, how do you pick? Yeah. Um, I typically look at track first to see if there's a track that like my business kind of leans towards. Um, so if I'm somebody that focuses on a lot of B2B type research, then I'm going to look to see if there's a track around B2B or some kind of like enterprise research type thing. Um, so, and then I also see, you know, is there, are there any clients of mine that are currently speaking? Obviously you want to support the client and be there and like be the friendly face that's smiling and nodding and let them know that they're on track. Um, and then the non popular answer, like the actual, like deep down in my core answer is that I'm sitting outside of the room and seeing who else walks in. Uh, <laughs> I hate to like, be like honest about it, but like, 
I've sat through some horrible presentations because somebody I really wanted to talk to and wanted to sell sample to somewhere along the line, like walked into the room and I was like, well, looks like I'm going to go learn about ethnography of dog owners. Let's go on in there, <laughs> suck it up, see what happens. And you go and you sit next to him in the intro and things like that. But uh, the first two are definitely the priority. It just so happens that uh, answer C is um, in my soul. Somewhere. <laughs> right. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Kelly. We're going to jump now into the four Ps. Uh, this is All our right. take on the marketing mix. Um, and four questions for Kelly, um, along with the end is a Mount Rushmore that I will give my Mount Rushmore to as well. And Brian Lamar is going to join and play the game today and give his Mount Rushmore along with it. Um, Kelly. That's great. Starting off with present. What's the best birthday present you've ever received? All right, here we go. So, my mom and dad throwing me my 16th birthday party, or extravaganza, I should say. I invited 100 people. They rented out this lounge and such, like, club for me. They got it catered. They got me a DJ. I did the whole 16-candle cake thing where each candle goes out to someone in my, my, my uh, party. And then the theme, are you guys ready for this? The theme was an NYC dance club, okay? So if that doesn't say that I'm from Jersey, I don't really know what would. Jeez. But it was the best party I ever had. I had a pink sequin dress. It was like the best thing ever. We're going to need to see pics. Yeah, this is this is either the most interesting or least interesting birthday that's always had. Good question. <laughs> what was your hairstyle? Yeah. yeah. Probably really big. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to bring in pictures next time I'm in, in Ohio. Okay. All right. Um, question two is place. Kelly, what place or day is your ideal setting or your happy place? I would say an outdoor restaurant on the water that sits on the water on a really nice day with a view of a city, wherever that might be, so I can order appetizers, drinks, and you know, walk right on the water. Okay, that's not bad. Um, are you at a restaurant? You said. What are you eating? Yeah, I'm you know that you listen to the podcast. It always comes back to food. So what are you eating? I eat everything. I usually go for like Greek food or Italian food, um, but I like little tapas too. So if it has like a great menu with some great appetizers, I will be there. I don't. I feel like we're just diving into more questions. You led off with Greek food and then ended with tapas. <laughs> small plate. Yeah. Brian, what's your favorite small plate? Pizza rolls, that's what I have today for lunch. <laughs> that's perfect, yeah. I mean, uh, how many how many pizza rolls can you fit on a small plate? I mean, I mean, how big is a small plate? I mean, 30 that I'm a toaster oven. Oh, my gosh. Okay, all right. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, question three is purpose. Kelly, who has driven you to success? Who would you thank in an acceptance speech um, that got you to where you are today? Okay, so I know typically it's one person but I have to give this one to my mom and my dad who literally support like my every move and my every dream. Um, my dad is like the most social go-getter successful man. And my mom's like the most positive enthusiastic person I've ever met. So I, they kind of molded me into this happy, energetic, motivated person. So I would thank them the most. All right. That's sweet. Um, well, great. Well, that leads us to our last P, which is person. Um, it's a Mount Rushmore question. And a lot of times, so when I'm coming up with what is the Mount Rushmore we could do, I try to think about what do I know about a person? What is like that person's identity outside of their real identity? 
So like mine was wrestlers. We've done high school. We've done college football. We've done Real Housewives before. Um, Kelly, your Mount Rushmore is. Give me your Mount Rushmore, which would be the top four people ever from the state of New Jersey. That's, uh, there's so many people, but all right, here we go. Not in any order. First of all, relax, relax. You're not on, this isn't the Chamber of Commerce. You have to tell me there's so many people from New Jersey that we should know about. All right, take it easy. They're not going to kick you out. (laughs) All right, so here we go. Top four. Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen, James Gandolfini, and Paul Rudd. Oh. Paul Rudd? Yeah. Paul Rudd's not from New Jersey. Is he? I thought he was from Kansas. I think he's from New Jer- born in New Jersey, yeah. Huh. He was born in Jersey, and I think he moved to Kansas. I could I could be wrong. I'm going to have to double-check this, but I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, your list is trash in the sense that it's basically just a Wikipedia search. Obviously not something that you learned, like, in third-grade New Jersey history. Uh, Lammy. Tell me, you got a better Mount Rushmore for New Jersey. Well, you have to put Springsteen on there, right? So I agree with that. I had John Bon Jovi, and I stuck with kind of a crooner theme. I left off Frank Sinatra from Hoboken, New Jersey, number one. Yeah. He's my way up there. And then, I mean, aren't we going to mention, like, Snooki? I think you have to. I mean, (laughs) we're talking about, like, the golden age of New Jersey. It was 1930 when all these people were popular. Let's at least step it up, like, at least 10 years ago, right? That's mine. Oh, God. Yeah, those are mine. You had Springsteen, Sinatra, Snooki, and who else? Um, John Bon Jovi. I thought about putting Grover Cleveland up there, (laughs) former president. Yeah, I mean, that's something actually successful. Um... And do you think his list is any better than mine? A little bit, yeah. A little bit better. <laughs> um, he didn't have to pull Paul Rudd out of it. I mean, I get it. He was great on Friends. Also also from New Jersey, Lisa Kudrow. Oh. Was, Paul Rudd was married to on Friends. Um, so here's my list. It's a little bit non-traditional, but are, are you there, God? It's me, Mount Rushmore. Judy Bloom oh. is first on my list oh. of Mount Rushmore. Literary. I'm a little bit more diverse okay. than you two. I apologize. That's just my upground, my background, uh, my upbringing. I, uh, I spent, as I said earlier, I spent a lot of time in college. I may have a little bit more knowledge than you two. Apologies. <laughs> Going into it. Uh, so Judy Bloom is my number one. My number two is Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry for being the greatest singer ever. Number three is Shaq. <laughs> um, yeah, Newark. Yeah. Well, my big thing was... For me, like, I'm not, so I'm a big basketball guy, but, like, I'm not a Shaq guy at all, like, at all. Can't stand Shaq. But (laughs) during my seven years of college, we thought it was hilarious to make fun of Shaq's, like, behavior and, like, his characteristics. So we would, like, randomly yell, like, twism and stuff like that. And, like, Shaq Fu was really a big part of my life. Um, So he's up there. And then my last one is Patrick Warburton. Um, (laughs) Lammy, do you know who Patrick Warburton is? Yeah, Seinfeld. Putty from yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, and then I always think about the New Jersey Devils. Devils, ah, right from from that Seinfeld. Devils gonna get you. Devils gonna get you. Uh, this is great podcast humor. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much for your Mount Rushmore. Uh, oh, I tried. I tried. <laughs> this leads us into our non-research rant of the week. Kelly, what is your non-research rant of the week? Okay, my non. 
my non-research rant is rude people. So, I mean, I know I'm in New York, but no one can hold a door for someone <laughs> or anything. They slam the door in your face. When you hold the door, no one says thank you. No one can say thank you or, you know, anything to you anymore. They look at you and they see you coming and they slam the door shut. And I just think that's the rudest thing in the whole world. It's just common decency, right, Kel? Exactly. What is, what's wrong with people? Hey, life's hard, Kelly. All right. I don't know what else to say. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, that does it for episode six of the podcast. Thank you to Kelly Clayton uh, for joining us today, talking a little bit about, about career path and conferences. You can see Kelly at the Quirks East Conference starting. Um, we're recording this on Monday, but it starts February 27th through the 28th uh, at the Marriott in Brooklyn. Um, you'll also be able to see Mike Holmes if you're interested as well, the president of EMI. He will be there uh, shaking hands and kissing babies and doing just the best. They'll both together be doing the just the best conference work that you've ever seen. Um, along with that, um, after that conference is Qualtrics. Well, there will be three of us at Qualtrics. I'm going. I'm looking forward to um, seeing Adam Levine in concert. Yeah, I'm excited. Nice. I'm going to Maroon 5 it. I've been listening to Maroon 5 lately to see, like, am I in on Maroon 5? He's also from New Jersey. Uh, Adam Levine, also from New Jersey. They're also, pretty good. I do like Adam Levine. Uh, all right. Well, he he tends to have a, a niche demographic, and let's just say you fit in it. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> as always, if you have any questions, comments, reviews, please uh, email us at intelecast.emi-rs.com. Please like, share, review on however you're listening to this podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, follow us on Twitter for all for new research, news, and updates at EMI underscore research. Um, and me personally at Adam Jolly on Twitter. Anything else from Brian? I have all these pizza restaurants ready for Hoboken, New Jersey, and New York, but we'll save them for another podcast. Yes. I, I just kept thinking about New York food. Well, yeah, Kelly didn't want to play along because then she mentioned topless and she shut us all down. Like, oh, we can't talk anymore. We're talking about small plates. We'll save it. Yeah, well, we should it. Maybe you guys should come out here and we'll, you know, we'll have to do a podcast out here. <laughs> Good suggestion. Hey, you know what? Email us at Intellicast at EMI-RS. We will be out there and do a food podcast. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, as always, to producer Brian. And we will see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.